Hello and welcome to Mr. Suitcase number 18, uh, still at the StarCityGames.com Open Series. And right now I'm sitting down with head judge uh, Jared Silva. So uh, I guess first thing is, uh, how did you get started in Magic? Well, I started playing Magic in high school way back in 1995. Uh, I started with Revised and... I kind of became the person who organized people getting together for drafts, for sealed deck events and stuff like that. Um, I actually got into judging in 2001 at Pro Tour Boston, and uh, I was in college, I was president of the gaming club, I was that guy, and um, I was interested in becoming a judge just to be able to do more with it. So I came in, walked into the Pro Tour, uh, I helped out with side events for uh, a lot of the day, took the judge test, passed the level one, uh, and really got into it for a while. Um, I became level two before the Pro Tour Boston that happened the next year, wound up running the overnight events for uh, Your Move Games, um, worked with Your Move Games for a number of years after that as a level two, and then took a position with uh, the events department at Star City Games. Uh, in 2007 and have since uh, become the events manager for Star City Games. Uh, I tested for level 3 and passed at Worlds in 2007 and uh, I've had a blast. It's been a, a great ride and it's, it's really been a great part of my life. So, what what was uh, your role in having the uh, the open series start up? Uh, Pete Hofling, the president of Star City Games, had the idea for it, um, and sat down with the events department to kind of hash things out, uh, how things should work, um, what would make these events uh, a draw both for players and for judges because when you start getting up to events like we have today with 338 players or as we've had in the past Richmond had 560 uh, Indianapolis had 660 uh, you need a large and skilled judge staff and uh, so many of the things that uh, we've done to draw players we've also done to draw judges we uh, bring in a high-level judge for uh, the head judge of our Saturday event. Uh, we go out of our way to make sure that we have level threes and high-profile judges uh, who other judges want to work with, but also we're going to provide a great experience for our players. We want to make sure that uh, the event is run by the most qualified judges. So you've talked about bringing in, you know, folks who have a, a good skill set and are able to help out a lot. What, what kind of, uh, I guess, where does mentoring fall into the judge scales as far as levels, you know, one, two, three, etc.? Well, usually at level one, we're expecting that the judge is involved in their local community. Uh, if there's mentoring that's going on, it's mostly helping to develop players into being more competent players, more competent uh, tournament players, and just getting them more comfortable. When you start to get to level two, 
that's when we're expecting uh, a judge to be mentoring other judges, helping uh, players to become judges, uh, people who are interested in judging uh, to develop the skills that are necessary to both pass the level one test and also to effectively run tournaments. Uh, once uh, you start getting up to level three, that's where we expect you to be able to help develop the mentoring skills in other judges. And so you have uh, the expectation that you're able to develop the level below you. Level ones, we expect you to be able to help out the players. You know, they're the guys who are helping out at F&Ms. They're doing great jobs at their local stores. That's exactly what we want them to do. Um, level twos, they're the type of judges who you're going to see at PTQs, who uh, a store owner might say, hey, I've got this great guy at my store. He helps with all the F&Ms. Can you work with him towards becoming a judge? Um, that's going to be your level twos. Level threes are going to be uh, a level one who wants more is going to be looking to the level three and saying, I want to become more a part of this community. I want to help build this community. I want to become a level two. How do I do that? That's where they're going to the level two, the level threes and the higher level level twos uh, for that type of mentorship. Do you have anybody testing to advanced judge levels here today? Uh, we have uh, a couple of judges who are looking towards level two. Uh, we're evaluating whether it's a good idea to be testing them right now or whether other events are going to provide a better opportunity for them. Okay. If if someone's, you know, kind of their, past the rules advisor, if someone's, you know, looking to uh, maybe advance into that level one and help out at one of these events, one of the open events, uh, what what should they do? Well, we try to reach out to uh, rules advisors who are around the area where we're going for open events. And so as a Star City-centric uh, view, uh, get in touch with events staffing at starcitygames.com, and we can definitely help you out. What we do is we pair our any rules advisor who's working with us with a level two prior to the event so they can work together. And then at the event, they get to work with that level two and uh, throughout the day shadowing them on, on judge calls. And then as the day progresses and they feel more comfortable, uh, the level two will shadow them on judge calls so that they can get, get some experience, build up their confidence, and uh, they also can evaluate whether or not they feel that they're ready to test for level one. Uh, in a more general sense, uh, there's a new position in the judge community called regional coordinators. And if you don't know a local level two, that's the first person you want to go to. If you go to PTQs on a regular basis, you see some higher level judges, those are going to be the people to talk to. But if you can't find a local level two or there isn't a local level two, uh, the your local regional coordinator is going to be the person to talk to who will be able to put you in touch with uh, a level two to work with uh, towards level one. How do you find a regional coordinator? There are five regional coordinators for the United States. Uh, in the northeast, it's Eric Shukan. In the southeast, it's me, Jared Silva. Uh, in the midwest, it's Chris Richter. In the southwest, it's Kevin Binswanger. And in the west, it's Aaron Hamer. 
if you go to Judge Center, which is judge.wizards.com, you can sign in with the same information that you sign in for your uh, your checking your ratings, and you can go to people and look up any of us and just drop us an email through there. Okay, so. Obviously, as a judge, you kind of need to know, you know, what's happening with the different formats. Recently, you know, Wizards on the regular schedule announced uh, changes to the banned and restricted list, and of course, uh, changes to the uh, to extend it, making it a shorter time frame. What does that mean to you as a judge? Well, one of the big. Uh, changes is going to be cards uh, like Illusionary Mask coming back in. Uh, a card like Illusionary Mask is fairly complicated, especially uh, when you don't have the Oracle text in front of you. So, as a judge, one of the things that I've done is I've gone back and reread all of the Oracle text. Uh, and it's also important to, if you're dealing with the card in a tournament scene, make sure that you double check the Oracle text, make sure you know what it means. Um, cards like Mystical Tutor being banned or Grim Monolith uh, coming back in have less impact in terms of actual rulings, but you have to be aware of them to make sure that you're able to identify whether or not a card is legal in the format. Okay. So, what are what are the challenges that are presented to you as the head judge uh, running a, a large tournament like this? Well, the primary responsibilities of the head judge are to coordinate the judges on the staff. Uh, at an event like this, we have uh, 16 judges who are on staff. We break them down into different teams. We have a deck checks team who handles all of our deck checks, make sure that all of the lists are counted uh, by the end of round one. Uh, a paper team that's responsible for anything that has to do with paper. If uh, it's posting pairings, getting out result slips, uh, and also a logistics team that often uh, plays a role as a catch-all but also helps to manage breaks and making sure that judges aren't going to fall over from not getting food or drink. Um, so as a head judge, I coordinate with those team leads throughout the day to make sure that the whole staff is working as a whole. Also, as the head judge, any ruling that's made on the floor can be appealed and uh, then it comes directly to the head judge. The head judge will uh, review the situation with the judge uh, who gave the ruling, uh, identify whether or not that ruling was accurate after getting to the play getting to the table and talking with the players, and then uh, either uphold the ruling or overturn the ruling and give uh, a modified ruling. So, uh, scorekeeper and often troublemaker uh, Ricky Hashi asked me to ask you about Oracle of Maldai and playing extra lands. Yes, uh, we had this come up earlier today, and uh, it's important to note that Rule 305.2 uh, says that there are continuous effects that can allow you to play additional lands during your turn. If you are playing a land, it's important to specify uh, whether you are using the continuous effect that allows you to play an additional land or the standard rule that says that you can play one land per turn. If you choose to use the additional land drop and later on the Oracle of Moldai is killed, you still will be able to use your basic one per turn land drop 
even though the Oracle has already left. So if I'm a player then, and I go ahead and I put my first land into play with Oracle, and I say something, land for the turn, that kind of indicates then to you as a judge that that was my normal land that I played for the, for the turn, opposed to saying something like, I'm using my extra land drop. And you can even play those, essentially what you're saying, you can play them out of order. You can go extra land drop first, opposed to your, your land for the turn. Absolutely. There are a lot of situations like this where being specific is a major benefit as a player. Knowing what you're doing, knowing why you're doing it, and communicating that to your opponent is a very important piece to the puzzle. So then there has to be a default position of either, if I just drop a land and I don't say anything, and then the oracle gets killed, um, what is the default position then? Uh, with many things, we're going to assume that you use the ba- the most basic way of doing something first. So if you just drop a land with no uh, indication, the expectation from most judges is going to be that you used your normal land drop and you had not yet used your additional land drop. So is, uh, would that be the most challenging ruling you've had today, or, or what's been the most challenging ruling you've had today? Uh, that would be the most challenging ruling, uh, rules-wise, that I've had today. Are you going to be the head judge for the Legacy Open tomorrow? Nope. The Legacy Open tomorrow will be head judged by Chicago's own Nick Rosowski, and um, we try to use some local judges, some high-profile local judges, give them a little more exposure, give them an opportunity to get out in front of a big event like this and uh, develop their ability to head judge large events. Okay. Well, um, I take it you're probably working at the event in, in some form or another. Um, what What are some of the most uh, common legacy rulings that, that you end up having to, to look into? Um, a lot of legacy rulings hinge on oracle text. Um, most of the cards that are used in legacy don't actually do exactly what's written on the card, mostly because the templating that we have, the modern templating, it was not around at the time that the card was written. Um, you'll have a lot of calls that are simply asking, what exactly does this card do now? Um, but especially you'll have questions once something starts happening as to how it resolves because of uh, differences between the oracle text and what's written on the card. Uh, one of the most famous was Caracas says bounce target legend. Uh, well, return target legend to its owner's hand. Now, when Caracas was printed, the only type of legend was creature. And so it has been or- oracle errata to say uh, return target legendary creature to its owner's hand. Now, if you just had the card in front of you, you might think that it could bounce, say, Umazawa's Jite. It can't. It can only bounce creatures. 
Okay. So, I mean, if you're getting a bunch of uh, questions about Oracle text, I mean, you can't have every single judge running up to the computer that's up at the to- at the at the judge stand. Uh, are there any other tools that you guys have at your disposal for the Oracle texts? Many of the judges have smartphones that have uh, either a PDF or access to the internet to identify that. So it's likely that if you ask a judge, they may just pull out their smartphone, uh, scroll through the the document, find what they need, and show it to you right on the on the phone. However, we do have uh, internet up on the main stage, so it's very easy for us to look something up on Gatherer, even get a printout. Okay. Um, is there anything that you want to share with folks about the Star City Games uh, Open Series or uh, any other topics before I let you go? Uh, we're really excited about the rest of this year. We already have 85 players who have qualified for the Star City Games Invitational. We've got another 137 or so who are halfway there. So remember that when you come out for one of these, regardless of where you finish, you're going to get at least one point, and that can help you get there. Uh, Also, at the Invitational in Richmond, we'll be having last chance grinders. uh, Pick up those last few points that you need to get in or to try and grind yourself to a buy. Well, I can say from the player community, thanks for all your efforts that you put into this, and uh, I know that uh, I, I think players, either whether they're playing here or whether they're just following coverage and stuff, really do appreciate the opportunity to have another large tournament series besides the Pro Tour, so thank you. Thank you very much. We really enjoy having you guys come out for them. We like running them. It's a lot of fun. Okay, so I am sitting down with Brian Kowal, who is one of the uh, Madison crew and uh, probably most famous uh, recently for uh, Boat Brew. So, uh, Brian, uh, what were you playing today? Uh, I went with the uh, out there choice of Jund today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jund would have been my choice had I decided to play, but uh, I... I wasn't going to test my uh, test the waters today. So, um, what did you play? Uh, I didn't play because basically I don't have enough time to play test at all. So, sideboarding is an absolute mystery to me. Mm-hmm. You know, well, can you talk to me a little bit about about sideboarding with Jund? Uh, I th- I think sideboarding is the most important part with Jund. Uh, part of playing it, uh, the deck is deck's obviously like a very powerful deck, but like. All, all the decks we were playing in standard now are like really synergist, powerful decks. And Jun's, I think Jun's a little behind most other decks, uh, pre-board. Uh, but like after board, it actually picks up is where it picks up most of its percentage against most of the decks. So like its plans are like almost all uh, very strong against uh, the individual decks. Um, like uh, if you take a deck like Mythic, for example, uh, you're probably like 40% game one, maybe maybe a little better than that. But then uh, after board, you're—I think you're almost—you're definitely favored, and maybe even uh, highly favored against against it because you like because you're able to just bring in all your removal and just like you always have the card you want, and all the cascade spells get you to the card that you want to play against them. That's I think I think that's why the deck interests me is because it's uh, so much about like molding the deck after board and like kind of like just building a new deck to be optimized against uh, whatever you're playing against. 
So, so I mean, you have a reputation as, as a deck builder, then. So uh, it kind of feels like during the tournament, you're you're building your deck, you know, each round, you know, after game one. Yeah, definitely. Um, sometimes I even like pulling my sideboard out during the during the game and looking at it and trying to figure out which which cards are going to be good, and like just like. It's it's like an important deck to always think about. Like, okay, am I am I beating down the opponent or am I the control deck? You know, like because you're you're like one of the best mid range decks ever, and like there's going to be decks like below you and above you as far as like speed and tempo and like aggressiveness. So like you, your deck can play both roles pretty well. So puts you in like good positions to uh, take advantage of that. Okay. So, I mean, obviously with M11, uh, standard's going to be changing. You've got a lot of, you know, you've got, you've got Man Elite coming back, and you've got some, some, some other good blue spells. Yeah. You, and, you know, so in that interim period right before uh, Alara rotates out and Scars kind of rotates in, you know, the mystery that it is, um, is, is Jund going to lose a lot of percentage points just to the, the good blue spells? or? Um. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Like, I mean, I think Jun's uh, such a strong archetype that it's going to be able to modify itself. Um, but I, I'm kind of worried about the state of magic with these with these blue cards coming in. They're they're very potent, and I think I think you're going to see like a lot of like heavy heavily blue decks, maybe even mono blue decks. Um, a lot of a lot more blue white, um, a lot of different blue white because there's just so much option now and what you can do with it. Um, yeah, I think I think it's, it's going to be. I think the format's going to shift pretty blue. Okay, um, so a, a lot of folks I've talked to uh, when we talk about the rotation and uh, the change to extended are very excited. It sounds like uh, we look at it really as a, kind of a deck builder's format, something that's going to refresh itself pretty regularly, and at least in the immediate future, looks a lot of fun to build for. What's What's your thought on the new extended? It looks great. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm in that camp for sure. Uh, like, I'm really glad we have a fresh format for the next Pro Tour, and I think I think it's going to do well or do better than old ex- the the previous extended. I, I don't I didn't think it was doing well. I, I think this one has a chance to do well at least because like people can at least look at extended and say, well, I can hold on these cards for two more years, you know, and, and get some use out of them. Um, and and I think it will stay fairly fresh, you know. It's just like kind of the the best of like the last four years like it, like standards never like block versus block really you know like it's it's a lot of mixing and like I think like I think as you play uh, more extended you're going to see some like pr- pretty awesome amalgamations of like what was like good two years ago and what's good now now you know I I became really familiar with you more as secondarily through Adrian Sullivan's writing uh, on on Star City, and uh, I know he's a big proponent of of the red decks. Uh, are, are you I mean are you looking forward to kind of doing a best of the past four years worth of red red spells for that extended? Uh, red definitely looks pretty good. I I actually tend not to play red decks. Um, I. I don't know why, but I, I just could never get myself to pull the trigger and play like bird spells. Uh, I just like—I think I just like drawing cards and playing creatures too much. <laughs> I don't know. I just like—I like like getting into like these intensely interactive games and situations with people when I like uh, when I play Magic. So and like red doesn't like red just doesn't always feel like it does that for me, you know? Because it's like burn, burn, you're dead, or like 
I'm out of gas, you win, you know. It's, you get that, those situations with red. So the next time I style, but like red looks pretty good for uh, extended. Like I think I think it's going to be like one of the better decks um, for sure. And, and that, it's definitely going to be testing red a lot and see, seeing what I can do. So uh, tomorrow is uh, legacy portion of uh, the open. Uh, are you playing in that? Have you settled on a deck yet? Uh, yeah, I've, I was actually uh, working. I've been working on a deck for the last like week or so with Patrick Shapin and Sam Black, and we kind of. We, I think we kind of pretty much settled on what we wanted to play um, Thursday night, and I, I, I like the deck. I, I, it's going to be interesting to see what it does. It's a little, it's a little different than what other people are playing. And, uh, we'll Great. see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> well, I'll touch base with you tomorrow uh, and and find out some more about the deck. I, I know I've already talked to uh, Pat and Sam also, so uh, I hit the trifecta then then for this deck. I'll be following the sand to see where you end up. Um, do they say they like the deck, or what, what, what have they said? <laughs> you know, I haven't actually gotten into Legacy very much with them yet, so so you're the first to uh, for me to broach the subject with. But as I follow up, I'll definitely uh, I'll definitely uh, be asking them about it. Uh, so I mean. Nowadays, there's the Pro Tour, you know, which I uh, obviously look at the next Pro Tour format, and there's Grand Prix. But now we have these open, these open series by Star City Games, and, and a lot of you know independent tournaments. What what do the independent tournaments and the open series in particular mean to to someone you know like you right now? Um, they basically mean it's a really great time to play Magic because this is always a tournament to go to. Like it's. It's hard not to like find like a, a fun competitive tur- like a fun competitive tournament. Like part of the problem is like PTQs kind of lose their luster when you're already once you're like qualified for everything for the year. So it's it's nice to be able to like go out and like play at a tournament where it, just a tournament, you know, like with regular people <laughs> like, and. Uh, just see what happens. It's like it's like more grand prix, only like less less pressure, really less stress. You know, not that the like magic should be stressful, but um, I don't know. It's 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 just more good times. You know. Okay. Well, I'm a, last thing I think I want to touch on you with is uh, so you're, you're really known as a deck designer, someone who enjoys uh, you know innovating and moving formats forward and whatnot. Um, what what kind of process do you generally you know use for for deck design? Um, just like a framework, you know. I usually just steal somebody's idea and then fix it. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so you classify yourself as a deck tweaker then? No, no, no. I, I, I'm just, I'm kind of exaggerating, but I, I, I like a lot of times, like, I, I, I think I'm more like, I, I guess I just see like deck building is kind of like a modular thing, you know. Like, I'll, I'll see something in this deck and something in this deck that I like, and I'll push them together and do a new deck, that kind of thing. Um, or like I'll see a deck and I'm like, well, this could have this and this and this and be pretty good. Like I guess it's, I guess you could call it tweaking, but like I think I think I come up with enough like new, uh, new products that it's like yeah. So so it's not so much tweaking as it is you know reenvisioning, reworking. I mean, a tweak might make it sound uh, smaller than what it actually is, but there's it, I, right. Yeah, obviously there's a lot of work that goes in that. Yeah, um, it's just like. Just try to innovate the formats and like trying to come up with like a new answer to what people are doing because there's always something new you can you could be doing. 
do you like uh, explored? Do you like brand new formats, or do you like formats that are slightly established better? Um, I like brand new formats a lot, uh, especially like a new set rotating in. Like if it's if it's like a big set, that's like the perfect thing. Like because it's like cards that always get like under evaluated and underplayed in in those first few tournaments. If you like, if you're like me and like like going through a new set and try, and try to see what what you can play and like where it can fit, it it can be a lot of fun. It give you like a pretty nice advantage. Okay, well, I want to thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Hello, I am uh, sitting down as round eight begins with uh, Conley Woods, who unfortunately in round seven did not get there. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to start off with finding out uh, what was the magical concoction uh, on this go-round. So Conley, uh, what were you playing in this tournament? Um... It was just an Asper list. It was similar to the one I played in uh, DC. But instead of trying to control the game, it went with like X-Bells and late game stuff. Uh, I had four Abyssal Persecutor, four Bane Slayer Angel on the main deck. Um, my Shadow was replaced by a single Identity Crisis since uh, Spreading Seas isn't having as much, seeing as much play anymore, and I didn't have like uh, Everflowing Chalice to accelerate out Mind Shatter anyway. And then um, I ran O-Rings instead of like All is Dust. And Gideons and Jaces, and the rest was pretty much the same. Four pass, four Esper Charms. I had a Doomblade in there for extra feature removal. Uh, no Tectonic Edge. Mana base is a little different. Cyborg's obviously different, but uh, four Jaces this time, so three. But on that, it's pretty similar. So, so what worked well, and what are the things you might change? Um, I don't know. I was just thinking about it, like. Uh, might cut the identity crisis out of the main just because there's a lot of matchups where you board it out. I mean, it's a good in some matchups like next level bands or blue white, planeswalkers, um, turbo land, like things like that. But against Jund, it's acceptable but not exciting. Um, on the play, you can just completely get him with it, but other times you just are stuck on mana or something, or it's a six drop and you have to discard it to blightning because it's really hard to like have it in your opening hand and then blightning you and not just want to discard it. Um, and then it gets like mythic, it's just too slow, mono red, it's too slow, stuff like that. So I'd probably end up cutting that. Um, I don't know what for, maybe a mind spring or something like that, maybe a sphinx. Just something else to gain you a bunch of card advantage. Um, other than that, like I don't I can't think of too many things off the top of my head. Like I think the main deck was one to two cards from being near perfect. There was a lot of cards that just worked out really well. Um, and the sideboard, I mean it treated me well. I don't know if I would have changed anything about it, but um, I would have tried to fit the second identity crisis or mind shatter or something like that in there. Okay, so what what does it mean for you having tournaments, non wizard tournaments, you know, prevalent and available to be able to attend? I mean, you got the, the Star City Open series here that you know obviously has has some person involved in it, and I know that that Colorado has a pretty active uh, tournament scene as well. Um, no, it's a lot of fun. Like um, playing this game professionally is pretty hard when you, especially since. Which is cut back on the Pro Tours and the Grand Prix, which is a topic for another time. I'd like to see them increase prize support or tournament the number of tournaments per year. But especially since they cut back from those a few years ago, like having other sources of potential income um, via prize winnings and things like that, and appearances and um, you know sponsorships and stuff, going to those places, having extra like sources of those are really nice, just because like they fill in the gap, so to speak. Um, I haven't got to go to too many. This is actually my first RC Games thing I've gotten to go to. Um, not because I could 
I'm against them or anything. I just the rest of them not worked out in my schedule or monetarily or whatever. Um, and then of course I can't go to Denver because of uh, nationals on the same date. But um, I think like if uh, if Star City can like or any you know Channel Fireball or TCG player any of them coordinate their events a little better through Wizards and kind of um, um, get maybe a preemptive schedule for next year so that the, the, the dates don't. Um, fall on the same time or anything um, that it would work out well but uh, no I mean they're fun um, I think more people should be coming out to them like we, we had 350 people today which is pretty good I mean it's obviously way bigger than a PGD or something but I know they've hit some 600 person tournaments and stuff so I'd like to see that kind of become the norm or whatever and have these like basically as another Grand Prix circuit yeah so obviously we have uh, we have a lot of of changes coming up. We've got M11 about to release. We've got some changes to the banned and restricted list. Um, and you know, obviously the banned and restricted list changes aren't in effect for tomorrow's legacy. But, uh, you know, what do you think of Mystical Tutor being uh, being taken out of legacy? Um, I'm against it, personally. Like, I mean, I understand that they wanted to keep those decks in check, but I don't think those decks were a problem. Um, yes, it's kind of a secret that, hey, Pros like these type of decks because they're better. They're more consistent. Um, you have Ad Nauseam and, and Reanimator being the two big ones. But at the same time, like they weren't overly dominant. Um, I think the better way to get those cards in check is to understrict cards, which they did. They understricted Grim Monolith, which, I mean, Illusionary Mass is not going to make a splash anywhere, unfortunately. But Grim Monolith does allow some other decks to rise up a little bit, like White Stacks, for instance, or like decks trying to play Turn 1 Trinospheres. And like, I think the best way to kind of keep the Mystical Tutor decks in check is to unrestrict cards. Like, if they unrestricted Hermit Druid, for instance, that's a deck that's not going to use Mystical Tutor at all, but it's another combo deck that's fast and it takes, you know, and, like, would compete with Reanimator pretty well, and the Reanimator has to start running more cards against it, and etc. Um, Grim Monolith was a good move, and I think if they just unrestricted Grim Monolith and maybe, like, Earthcraft, which I don't think should it be on it. Earthcraft would not. I mean, Scrollcraft's good and everything, and like Elves is good, but um, again, those are just two fairly fair decks as far as you're considering, like in Legacy. I mean, they're obviously not fair anywhere else, but um, I think if they just had unrestricted some stuff like that, that it would have made, uh, or unbanned, that it would have made Mystical Tutor decks a little bit, not like a notch down. And at the same time, like, I just don't think that Mystical Tutor, there's so many ways to fight it if you want to, you know, extirpate, beats it without, it's a unconventional way. Like, nobody runs XP right now, despite it being good against Reanimator. Like, you hit their their card they entomb for, and you, their card they mystical tutor for, then a turn. Like, it's pretty sick. But, um, yeah, that's I don't agree with that. I like the unbanning of the other two cards. I would like to see more cards get unbanned, but... Okay. Well, what about the, the other big elephant in the room, with the, which is the new Extended? What's your opinion on that? Um, like I've been saying, like, I think for Amsterdam and the next PTQ season in the beginning of the year, it'll be good. Um... Just it's a fresh format. Um, you have to deck building completely new for it. It's got some nostalgia involved with some of the old classics like five color control and fairies and whatnot. Um, I don't think any one deck will be too oppressive, but I think as the format goes on longer, once there is a deck that just completely dominates standard, like Affinity did or Fairies did or anything like that, um, 
then in the decks is so good, it's also going to dominate this other format because there's not enough other sets in there to keep it in check necessarily. So, like, if a new affinity came out of Scars, like, we really don't have cards that can deal with affinity. I mean, sure, yeah, like, maybe it'll add Pride Mage or something to it, but, like, there's not a lot of other cards that would be able to keep an affinity in check. So if affinity was dominating standard, then it would also be dominating extended. And then the only way to keep that in check is to make bannings. And I think bannings overall are bad. I understand when they have to do them, but I think design, like intentionally doing anything to knowing that hey we can always ban a card I don't think that's a good motto I think it's more like oops we screwed up let's ban something so I think once that deck gets big like you know a Jund that you know in the future and then you're like oh well why would I play anything but Jund and extended as well and then you end up playing the same deck for six months out of the year and it's just boring and lame and people get like that would actually get people playing the format less whereas like I think right away people play the format more just because they have the cards and stuff so um like, for right now, it's good, I think, but I, I want to keep my eye on it for sure and see how it evolves over the next couple of years. Okay. So then the last thing is, uh, obviously, we have Mana Leak is going to be an M11, and we've got, you know, a host of what looks like great blue cards coming out. Uh, someone asked me on Twitter to, to ask folks, um, is is this going to be the the next blue year? Um, I don't know about blue year because there's still like so. I don't think blue will necessarily take effect until after shards rotates because there's still a lot of cards that are good against blue right now. Lightning, Bloodbraid Elf, um, things like Volcanic Fallout, um, Manlands are really good against blue. Um, like there's some cards in shards that help blue, but I think overall there's more cards that hurt blue. Maelstrom pulsating Jace, things like that. So I think. After like the first three months, I don't think blue will necessarily. Be, I mean, people will play blue, yes, but I don't think it'll be dominated. It's not going to be fairies or anything. Um, after those three months, it's really tough to say because we don't know what's going to be in scars. Like, I'm happy that they printed some good blue cards because there really hasn't been blue cards at all for last year. I mean, yes, blue white control had like a month or two in the sun, but it was even it was more dependent on white. Like blue, you know, at Jace and Mindspring, but really you're talking about Marshall Coup and Path Exile, Wall of Omens, and Day of Judgment and Celestial Purge and all these cards that are all white. So I think white's been the best color. Actually, it's almost carried blue a little bit. Jace was a good step for blue. Um, Mana Leak's a good step for blue. Um, I think the, the whole thing is you want it to be good without being insane. So uh, I think, you know, like I said, Mana Leak coming back is really exciting. But then at the same time, like, the time, what's it called, time? Time Reversal? Is that actually the name of it? I think so. Time, like, time Reversal is not a blue card. It's not going to be in, like, blue control decks. Like, that's what you think when you think of blue. You think of like, counter spell control with, like, you know, counter that, counter that, draw some cards. Like, Jace's Ingenuity is, Mana Leak is, those are cards like that. But Time Reversal is actually a combo card. So, like, although the deck might have blue in it, like, Dragonstorm had blue in it, but you never would consider Dragonstorm a blue deck. Um, so, like, I don't think Time Reversal is uh, a culprit in this at all. Um, I think I think Jace's Ingenuity and Mana Leak are two... They're fair steps. They'll make blue good and make blue playable and make control strategies playable in them where it's not just like, let's tap out for a fat thing every single turn. Instead, you have like, wait to your turn, you're going to play something, counter, draw cards. And like, I think having that type of deck in the format once every few years is good because it teaches you new properties about magic. Like, if, I mean, I feel bad for players that have started picking up the game in the last year or so and they think that control decks are literally like, who can play the biggest fatty at the end of the game, right? Like, it's like, we let's play Baneslayer, and then we're going to play Sphinx, and then we're going to play our Ulamog, and then we're going to, you know, it, that's what basically what the control has become. It's like, kill your guy, kill your guy, kill your guy, fat thing. And, like, 
anyone that's played back in the day when you had like you know twenty counterspell decks. I'm not saying we want that anymore, but like it's a completely different style of magic. You you value things differently. You like card advantage is important, but it's not as important because you're you're doing a lot of one for one trading, and then all of a sudden you draw a bunch of cards at one time. You don't like you're not incrementally drawing cards with spreading seeds and wall of omens and you know divinations things like that. It's just a completely different way of playing magic, and I think spicing it up every few years and putting something like back in the deck, like putting a combo deck good again, like Necro and Dragon, something like that. I think that's healthy. If you do that every once in a while, nobody wants to play against combo every single day. But you know, having a combo deck in the format for a little while is nice. Like this, uh, the Turbo Land deck is basically a combo deck, and right now it's not as good as it could be. There's, I mean, it's really good, but not like oppressive. But I think with the three months that Time Reversal plus Time Warp are legal, it's going to be pretty insane. Which I think will be good. It'll be fun. You know, give some people something else to do. Like, um, I mean, Magic's always hung around because it's an ever-evolving game and like um, just because something's happened before and maybe even wasn't the best one happened before doesn't mean it can't happen again and give it a second go and see if players like it a little bit so I'm all for it okay well I mean that's awesome to hear and so what's going to be the the next the, the next great thing uh, for Conley Woods? What, what's, what's the next thing on your horizon? I mean, I know that you have some stuff that's in the works that you're not going to be talking about, so let's, let's leave bez- business ventures out of it for just a moment. And, and where are you going for, and what, what's going on as far as, uh, you know, what's, what's your next big aimed at event, I guess? Um, well, I have the, the pre-release for M11. I'm going out to LA to Gunsling. Um, so although that's not like a big event or whatever, it's a pretty big deal. Um, so anyone out in the California area that's listening to this, if you want to come down and see me, I'd definitely like it. Um, I'll be with Aaron Forsyth even, so it's a pretty good, pretty big duo. Um, then after that, it's really Columbus, which is July 31st, um, which is Legacy, so Legacy's definitely on my mind right now. Tomorrow I'm playing for the playtesting, and I mean, of course I want to win, but uh, I'm more here to learn something, just because like I haven't played Legacy really since Chicago last year. And although I've kept up with the format, I've read forums and stuff like that, it's never the same unless you're actually playing with the cards. Um, so I'm excited to do that. And then uh, then after that, I have a gigantic stretch where I will not be in my house for more than like two days. I go from uh, Nationals to Gothenburg, Sweden, to Amsterdam, to Portland, four weeks in a row. Um, and there's actually Gen Con the week before Nationals, but I decided there's no way. If that happened, it'd be Columbus, Gen Con, National. It'd be six weeks of travel, and it would just be too insane. So I think I'm going to avoid that. Um... Although, my, uh, my parents do live in uh, northwest Indiana, Gary, Indiana, right outside Chicago, so um, I suppose I would have like a place to stay for the two weeks of Gen Con if I wanted to do that. Um, but yeah, the, that's really the next big thing. Um, Pro Tour Amsterdam is obviously headlining that one, uh, which is new extended, so I'm excited about that. Um, and then Legacy and Standard in there, and a whole bunch of M11. There's M11 Sealed, M11 Draft uh, for Nationals, so that's going to be uh, it's going to be a bigger impact than just like, hey, we added some new cards in Standard because you're going to have to learn an entire new limited format. So that's a pretty big deal. Um, now, when does your preparation start for the new extended in Amsterdam? Um, starts as soon as I get home from this tournament. Um, I'm not going to be super heavy into it. I'm not going to be like devoting ten hours a day to it or anything like that. But I'm going to start doing some lists whenever something pops in my mind. Write it down, um, researching cards, researching interactions, things like that. Uh, checking out the new spoilers, which I've obviously we've been um, away, so we haven't really got to see the new spoilers. Um, I'm sure by the time we get back, there'll be 20 new cards up. Um, but yeah, so like it'll it'll start on Monday. Um, not like not diving headfirst in because I gotta keep legacy in mind, um, which is one reason I like 
I'm using tomorrow's playtesting because it's basically a free day of playtesting because I'm here for a tournament but like I get a free day to just do it um, and then standard new standards are a pretty big deal because of nationals so um, those things will kind of take precedent right now but um, extended is going to be in the back of my mind and I'm just going to be doing I would say probably an hour or two a day to it but I'm just not going to be like 10 hours like grinding out games on moto or anything like that right now do you have in your mind kind of how you think the format is going to shape up um not really I, I mean Yes, you could speculate. I mean, like, fairies will be played. I don't think it'll be insane like everyone thinks. There's plenty of cards. Like, even cards like Cunning Spark Mage, which you would never think are like that insane. But, like, that probably beats fairies pretty well. Deals with uh, Scions and all the tokens and keeps the Bitter Blossom in check. And then when they don't have any fairies, they're pinging them. And so I think, like, a card like that's really powerful that people have not really considered. Um, but fairies will be played. I mean, all the classic decks will be played. Five Color will be played. Jund will be played. Um, probably some Swans deck. Like, all those, all those decks will be played. But as for, like... New interactions, like I think a Punishing Fire deck is going to be huge because you got Grow the Vermilion's Punishing Fire, which single handedly beats fairies. Um, so, like, I think there's nothing to keep in check, but there's going to be a whole bunch of like 10% of the field decks. There's not going to be like one deck that's just completely dominant. But then again, there might be. It like depends on, like, I mean, we have M11 coming out, and there's some like interactions that people haven't really explored. That That's one thing I have to do research for is like you just go through the spoiler, look at all the cards over and over and over again, and eventually, like, that little glimmer up on the screen, and you're like, oh, this card with that card. Like, wow, I was never ever thought about that before. Just because the format's so new that, like, even if people have thought of that before, maybe they're like, oh, well, it's bad because, you know, Affinity is around an extender, or it's bad because Thopter is around Affinity. Like, there's, so there's, those type of factors aren't involved, so, like, there's new interactions that people really have to take a look at. Um, and I think one of those decks could end up being, like, a new big deck that no one's thought of. But like I said, the classic decks will, will be in existence. I don't think there is a dominant, we can say, like, this deck will dominate right now. I don't think that exists, so... Okay, great. Well, thanks for your time, and uh, we'll definitely check back with you tomorrow in Legacy and see how uh, how everything goes. Hopefully I am hoisting a trophy. <laughs> well, good luck.